Hi folks, Nathan here with a new episode of The Frontline. I'm going to be looking at primarily the article from the Washington Post, which is actually an opinion piece uh, from the editorial board, published January 6, 2024. The title is Homeschooling is Surging, States Have to Step Up Their Oversight. Welcome to The Frontline with FPM, where we talk about California politics, homeschool freedom, parental rights, and the family. I'm your host, Nathan Pierce, and thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and see what's going on here on The Frontline. All right, so this uh, article from The Washington Post, titled... Homeschooling is surging. States have to step up their oversight. Is an editorial. In other words, it is not a, a piece of researched uh, uh, journalism. It is an opinion piece, and it's important to remember that it's an opinion piece as we go through some of the points made. Um, but before I get into the article, before I read any of it to you, before I comment on any of it, I want to I want to read a couple of scriptures. And um, the first is from Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, and uh, that's going to be verse 17. Proverbs 18, 17 is an important principle to remember when reading this Washington Post piece. It reads, The one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So it's a really important uh, concept to remember that uh, when, you, when you hear somebody explain something, you hear somebody make some statements about something, um, it's n not just... Uh, that you should leave it there. It's not enough to just say that I accept that information and that's all there is to be done about it. We need to, uh, to, to pursue further, to ask questions, to examine, or to, to challenge and to ask questions sort of around the topic to make sure that what has been uh, laid out, what has been presented is, is, not just accurate, but but fully explained. And so we're going to be looking at that a little bit. But I want to uh, point out, too, that um, when we look at this Washington Post article, this is laying out one specific perspective, and we need to take that as it is, which is one perspective. And it is right to be challenging it, asking questions, sort of looking at it from different angles, and making sure that we are we're asking additional questions to try to get more clarification. Um, we can't get a lot of clarification if there's not more data. Um, obviously, we are limited to what's here in this article as far as the Washington Post's perspective, um, in addition to everything else that the Washington Post has published, which is quite extensive on this topic. And uh, But we're going to just look at this particular opinion piece today. So... Uh, we'll get into one other verse in just a moment, but
But let's let's get in a little bit to to this opinion piece. Um, again, published January sixth, twenty twenty four. So uh, the early portion of this article goes in a little bit to how uh, homeschooling grew during the COVID uh, crisis, the shutdown of schools and parents pulling their children out, uh, the increase in numbers, um, some ideas of how, how some, some of homeschooling perhaps changed through that. And then ultimately about almost halfway through the article, we get into some of the uh, kind of vague generalizations that are made by the Post in this article. Now remember that there have been a lot of previous articles detailing some various stories uh, from people that have maybe different associations with homeschooling, uh, but this piece is just sort of a general opinion piece from the Post editorial staff. So. Um, let's just read a portion. There's, there's a, a statement made in the article. It says, the science on homeschooling has always been iffy. Now, that's a pretty extreme statement to be making. Uh, the science on homeschooling has always been iffy. Uh, first of all, uh, it's very general. Again, uh, we pointed that out before that a lot of this article is, is very general and vague. Um, but it's also sort of a slap in the face here in this particular case to a lot of great researchers around the world that have worked extensively on research, scientific research, on the homeschool question. And so for the Washington Post to say that it's always been iffy, that's uh, pretty, uh, a pretty extreme generalization and it's a slap in the face to all those researchers that have put so much time and effort and energy into the research that's been done on homeschooling. And they're sort of just throwing all of that work out the window, all the work that's been done and published in academic journals over the years, all that's out because the science is iffy, according to the Washington Post. So I would call this a baseless claim uh, one that is very uninformed, and one that is uh, rather insulting to a lot of people, a lot of PhDs out there that have worked extremely hard on research on homeschooling, along with other education uh, research. So let's go uh, to another comment that's in here. There's a comment made. It says, where there's no oversight there's no guarantee that children will learn skills considered foundational in public education and essential to adult life. So what they're saying here is where there's no oversight, if, if there is a scenario where there's no oversight of education, they're talking about homeschooling here, where there's no oversight, where there's, in other words, there's no government person looking over it and making sure that what's happening is what the government wants to happen, because this is the context of government oversight. That's what they're talking about here. Where there's no oversight, there's no guarantee. So that's, they're not, um, they're not making sure that it's happening. The government, because the government makes this stuff happen. The government is the one that guarantees that children learn skills. So where there is no oversight, 
There's no guarantee that children will learn skills considered foundational in public education and essential to adult life. Now, one issue here is that they're, they're claiming that the standard here for what is essential to adult life, the standard is public education. That's the standard. But they're also stating that when there's no oversight, there's no guarantee that the kids will learn skill these skills that is uh, this that meet up with this standard of public education. But then, then this this sort of begs the question: what what are they inferring here? They're inferring that when there is oversight, or when they have public education, for example, because that sets the standard, they are able to ensure. They are able to guarantee, using their word, that the kids will learn the skills considered foundational. So it's a really sort of a, a wobbly bridge that they're on here in making this, this claim that since, since their standard is the standard, the government schools are the standard, if we don't have oversight of government to ensure that the kids in homeschool programs are getting the same education that the public school kids are getting, then we can't ensure that those kids are going to get the skills they need for adult life. So, so a couple of pretty major uh, misses in terms of uh, making sure that the uh, standards are correct here. The one standard being where what's our standard for education and who decides what the essential skills are for adult life, and then the the guarantee, the ability of the government to guarantee that children will learn skills for adult life. Now, we all know that there are plenty of kids that graduate out of public school, public education, that are able to function in adult life. I'm not denying that at all. But there's no way that the government can guarantee that every child in a public education system is going to graduate with all the skills that they need for adult life. And for them to claim such is ludicrous. And it's a very broad generalization to say that um, because they can guarantee that and they can't guarantee it for homeschool students, that they should have the same oversight or even similar oversight over private education, over home education, as they do over public education. This is not a rational way of looking at a purpose for oversight of home education. This is not a way to go about establishing a reason to regulate homeschooling. We don't look to the government to set a standard for what kids are to know when they graduate. We do not look to government to set a standard for what is required for skills needed for adult life. That's not the government's job. And that sort of leads me to another point here, and that is in Romans 13, we learn about what is the role of government? What is the proper place for government to be? And um, starting in verse 1, it, it says in Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we're understanding here that God set up governments for a purpose. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministries, ministers of God attending to this very thing. So, the authority here, that God is, is from God, God gave the authority to government, God has created this institution of government, that government gets its authority from God. It's not a self-attained authority, it is not a self-made authority, it is an authority that comes from God. So that's the first principle here. The second principle here is uh, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, we we read about government as well, and the the purpose of government is listed here. This is um, this is First Peter two fourteen. We'll start in verse thirteen. First Peter two, verse thirteen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those to do who do good. So, he's saying that the people of God are to be subject to every human institution. In other words, every, every government that is set up as we learned in Romans, which gets its power from God, we are to be submissive to it. But then it explains what the purpose of those governments are to do. God set up government, God set up civil government to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Then verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And I think this whole section here is really critical for us to understand, especially in the context of this Washington Post article today, uh, because we're learning that uh, while government gets its authority from God, it also has certain limits of what God laid out for government to have as its appropriate biblical uh, role to punish evil and to reward those who do good. But also, there's more here because we're talking about how Christians are to live. Christians are to live in submission to that authority, but they're also to live in submission to God doing what is right servants of God, as it says in verse 16. So, we are not to be living as those that would have the finger pointed at us with accusations of evil doing. We should be looked at and appreciated for doing what is right, because that is what we are called to do. That is how we are called to live. So, back to our article. Back to our article. 
Um, we're going to look at a few more generalizations here um, just to sort of help you see, you know, I, I struggled a little with this article. I struggled a lot with just being frustrated with the with the uh, baseless accusations, the, the broad sweeping generalizations that are listed here in this in this article. Um, some vague references to um, uh, abuse being connected with homeschooling, um, not acceptable levels of uh, instruction, kids not being prepared or not being um, the homeschoolers not being held accountable to a high standard, um, not being prepared for adult life. Uh, these kind of vague generalizations are very difficult to hear. Um, there's uh, there's this reference to um, the 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 story that we talked about uh, a week ago uh, with uh, that young boy that was abused and ultimately he died uh, as a result of the abuse that he received from. Uh, from his father and his, his stepmother. And uh, in that case, uh, there was a reference made by his mother, his stepmother, that she she homeschooled. And that's um, something that, that obviously she was not doing. Um, and and this, this case could have and probably should have been found earlier and in fact was pursued uh, before the family fled from, from a faraway state when there, this... A young boy was actually, I believe, uh, enrolled in a in a government school, but ultimately, in this particular case, this article from the Washington Post is pointing out in a in sort of broad generalizations. Uh, again, frustrating. Let me read it to you. These grisly stories are probably rare exceptions, and abuse can go undetected by public school public schools too. This is possibly a reference to to that situation. Um, Yet, now now get this, yet tightening of policy would benefit even those children whose parents are trying to responsibly educate them. So he's saying, uh, Washington Post is saying in this this sentence that uh, regardless of the state of a homeschool family or group or um, a child, even if they're doing excellently, more regulation is always a good thing for that child. It will benefit every child. Tightening policy. I'm not making this up. The Washington Post says tightening of policy would benefit even those children who are, whose parents are trying to responsibly educate them. So no matter how good a child's education is, no matter how brilliant and loving and generous some parents are, it's always going to be better if the government has a tighter grip on that education. If the government has more oversight and there are more restrictions on that education, less flexibility is always better. That's what they're saying here. Every child. That's a pretty extreme statement. It's a pretty extreme statement for them to be saying that. Then this this gets pretty interesting here. Um, I don't have time to go way in depth in this next point, but I'll just point it out because I, I have gone into into detail on this before. But um, they they point out here New York as an example, which is 
really incredible. It says New York has a robust model in which individuals providing instruction must be competent but needn't have any teaching qualifications and students must be assessed annually by either by standardized test or portfolio evaluation. So I just want to talk about New York for just a moment. New York is a state that does have tighter restrictions uh, compared to average states. New York is a state that has what they call in the Washington Post a robust model. But there's there's some issues that come with that. This robust model, so-called, that the Washington Post is referring to is a system in New York where there is so much paperwork overburdening the Department of Education that they don't even have the manpower or the financial means to process all that paperwork so that they are actually saying because so many homeschoolers' paperwork is sitting in piles unprocessed, they're going after families for not processing or not sending in their paperwork for homeschooling when in fact it's sitting in piles in their office unprocessed because they don't have the manpower to process it. That's how well New York's system is working. It's really, really bizarre that that would be used as a model to hold up and say this is a good model. Um, we do not want to see this model uh, used anywhere else because that is certainly, certainly not going to benefit children, as they said in the immediately previous sentence. Tightening of policy would benefit even those children whose parents are trying to responsibly educate them. How is that supposed to happen if you adopt a New York model where they can't even process the paperwork because it's too overwhelming for the Department of Education? Well, there's more I could say about this article. But I think the most important thing to remember is that this is an editorial. Uh, there's, there's not much in the way of of hard facts in this article because it's just an opinion. It's just stating a bunch of ideas and thoughts without really presenting any evidence. There is not evidence presented in this article because it's just an opinion piece. It's sort of um, just sort of having these different vague feelings and stating these feelings about stuff without backing uh, the reasons for the feelings or saying what information um, backs up what they're what they're claiming it in terms of um, saying that data doesn't exist when it does and um, saying that children would be helped when they won't saying that New York system is good when it's not there's there's a lot of um, things in here you could you could complain about and get frustrated with and Understandably so, but ultimately when it comes down to it, this is an opinion piece by the Washington Post and it needs to be looked at as an opinion piece, not as fact. And we know what the facts are and we know that we're supposed to do our best. We're supposed to, as it says in First Peter, live as servants of God, doing our best and 
we can see that homeschooling is an option that has worked extremely well, both academically and socially for, for students throughout the country and around the world for now generations. And we can rest assured that not only is this, this concept um, supported by a scientific study, but it's also something that we can look around us and see how well it's working. But we can also see that when God calls us to do something, he knows what he's talking about. And he did not give children to the government to say, government, you set the standard for what these children should learn. Government, you set the standard for what is appropriate life skills um, for these children to be required to learn. And we should not look to government for all of these answers. We don't need that. And that is not the appropriate role of government. So uh, with all that, um, hopefully that this uh, article will, um, will not stir up lots of people to do what the article is calling for, which is step up oversight. But we do need to be aware that that is what it's calling people to do. That is the, that is the, the cry of this article and many others. Um, so that we can um, have more, we, we need to be uh, gearing up for whatever comes as a result of this type of article. And we need to make sure that we in our own minds are preparing for doing what's right in response to perhaps states stepping up their oversight and being ready to fight those battles when they come. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Frontline with FPM. For more information about the topics we discuss here, check out Family Protection Ministries at fpmca.org and subscribe to our channel.